You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. Today as a guest speaker, we have David Yaffe, co-founder at Estuary previously co-founder and CEO of Arbor that raised $9.1 million and was acquired in late 2016. And in this episode, we'll talk about the acquisition, the fundraising for Arbor and David's plans for Estuary. So David, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Arbor. Sure, no problem. Thanks for the introduction. Um, So I've been an entrepreneur for a number of years now across a few different companies, the last of which was um, was Arbor. And Arbor was a platform in the marketing space. Um, myself and my co-founder started in, in, in 2014. We all came from Google and we saw that Google and Facebook were eating the world. Um, they were taking about 80% of every new marketing dollar that came into the market. Uh, our philosophy was that that was most likely because Uh, Google and Facebook had really great identity assets. They had a first party relationship with their publishers um, and their their users that actually used their their sites. And um, that first party relationship led them to be able to monetize in a lot better way than than most companies out there. So we created Arbor um, with the, the belief that publishers also had that same data asset, albeit a smaller at a smaller scale. And we were hoping to be able to band them together through a platform um, in a way that would help them use their data assets together. And so Arbor was definitely at the right place in the right time. It took off um, and we ended up founding it in 2014 and selling it for nine figures in 2016. Um, nice. Thank you. Uh, most, most recently, I, I co-founded Estuary and we're more in the tech infrastructure place uh, space. We uh, build technology that allows companies to create, manage, and maintain their data flows using a simple cloud service and not ma- having to manage infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Got it. And here I want to start with Arbor. Uh, we'll talk about its fundraising first, and then we'll move on to the acquisition part. So first question is, when was the moment when you were like, okay, now it's time for us to go out to investors and actually raise some money for Arbor? It's just necessary now? It's a good question. Um, so I've always had the philosophy that I, I, I like raising raising when I know exactly what I'm going to do with the money. Um, and I, I haven't never wanted to take people's money unless I was 100% confident in the idea. Because as soon as you take money on, you have, you have, um, you basically um, signed off that you're go- going to run and do exactly what you said. Um, and, and of course, investors understand that companies uh, pivot and they change, but um, you know, I've I've always wanted to at least be pretty confident of my own. Um, so mm-hmm. it's about six six months before we um, built out our product. That was after having maybe a hundred conversations with different marketers in the space and publishers in the space to make sure that we were onto something that they'd actually buy. Um, we had signed our first couple clients. And um, we were actually delivering them value on the platform at that point. Um, so we decided to go out and raise money at that point. Nice. That's a really neat strategy. I personally absolutely love it. Uh, but next question is, 
the uh, speed at which you raise the fund at the rate the, the first round. So usually, in my personal knowledge, it takes like roughly three to six months. In your case, how how long did it take to first to raise that first round? You know, with that initial traction and that interest from marketers. Um, we were a pretty quick process. Um, I don't think we spent more than two weeks fundraising the first. Oh, time. nice. How how exactly did it happen to be like two weeks? Because two weeks is just like super super extremely fast. How did that yeah, happen? There's a couple of reasons. You know, the first is that we were just experienced entrepreneurs. We'd been part of um, startup companies before. We had actually known some of the investors through that process. Um, I think it's unique to be in a situation where you built a significant chunk of your product as well and signed customers around using it. Um, so that obviously played a part. Um, and then I think the biggest part of our strategy has always been when I, when I raise money, I like to get really warm intros to VCs. So we had lined up a whole bunch and we just fired them off all at the same time. Um, and that allowed us to um, get, get a lot warmer introduction to the, the venture community, um, which made the process like really, really tight um, and deliberate. So, you know, I think all of those things allowed us to, to move pretty, pretty quickly. Two weeks, it's insanely fast. But how long did it take you to, you know, get this list of people you want to get warm intros to? So the whole process prior to the actual, you know, we're raising parts. How long did it take you? Not too much longer, honestly. <laughs> it was nice. Yeah, we had some really good warm intros and a, a good network. Um, so between maybe five or six entrepreneurs that um, I know very well, we got warm intros to all the, the firms that we wanted. That's really great. And, you know, I bet most of our listeners are super jealous right now because most of them are you know, early stage entrepreneurs with uh, not that much experience. So what's your advice to those people? How can they accelerate the process of fundraising? Maybe like, you know, a couple of years before they even decide to start a company, uh, there should be they should be doing some specific networking or going to some specific sort of events. And what's your advice to those people, how to accelerate their fundraising process in the future? Yeah, I think, um, I think good planning around um, who, which venture firms you're going to want to meet uh, for the, for the space and the thing that you're doing uh, that, that really helps. So you can figure that out in advance. And then based on those firms um, try to either meet entrepreneurs who have uh, they've invested in, um, especially entre entrepreneurs who've had good outcomes. Uh, my, my tactic has always been get, uh, get entrepreneurs like that to be angel investors and get them to make the intros because a warm in intro from an angel that's going to be investing in you as well speaks louder than anything else. They're putting their money with mm -hmm. So I like going that route. Um, I've never directly done a cold reach out to a, a venture capitalist. <laughs> nice. I think that's like literally an achievement in the startup field. <laughs> but um, in terms of growing the network, going back to that question, you know, uh, what's your, I, I assume that a lot of your network came from your previous experiences, right? Working at other companies. Uh, would you recommend other startup founders to actually work at another startup before starting their own? Or is that not as helpful as it may seem? I think for me, it gave me the skills that I felt I needed to start a company on my own. Um, so I, I worked for two startup companies at various positions. Both of them were successful. They got acquired by public companies. And for me, that experience gave 
gave me the understanding of the different pieces of a startup company that need to be built. Um, and, and I had to have a mental mapping of that in my head to understand, you know, the whole process around raising, raising capital around how to develop a product and how to um, hire an engineering team, how to work with an engineering team, how to work with a sales team and so on and so forth. Um, and I think those skills were, were valuable, especially, you know, there's more to a startup than just forming the startup and creating a, a decent product that people want. You actually have to scale it over time. And, and um, I think that process is kind of lost on, on a lot of founders that, that go into it without that experience. Mm-hmm. Right. So, very quick, quick answer, quick wrap up to your question, which I really uh -huh. didn't formally answer was that I, I do think it's important to, um, to have a previous experience at startup companies before starting your own. That said, I've, I've known people who've been successful without doing it. it. It's just a lot easier to have a better outcome if you have. Absolutely. I'm totally on your side right now, because I think that, you know, just looking from something on something within that thing, it's just going to help you so much in the future. Uh, but anyways, you've done so many great things, you know, super fast fundraising, great exits and all is great. But now looking back at your, that, you know, first round that you raised, looking back at that process, what do you think was your major mistake? Did you actually make any mistakes there? Would there be anything that you would like to change in that fundraising process, basically? I wouldn't change anything in the first round of fundraising. Um, that said, Arbor raised two two rounds, and the second round happened to close two months before we sold the business. <laughs> um, so you, obviously, that's not ideal. You're giving away twenty to thirty percent of the company right before you sell the business. Um, so you know, looking back at it, I, I don't have regrets, but it certainly isn't you know the way you'd want it to play out. Uh, it, I think there were actually positive pieces of it. You know, one was that w the round allowed us to really prove that we were going out to build um, and that we wanted to be, build a big company. So it allowed us to command a bit of a higher multiple that mm -hmm. it's gotten. So, you know, I don't think that the it was net negative for our outcome, but it definitely, uh, you know, it doesn't feel right to, to raise money right before you sell. <laughs> right. So here we're moving on to that part where I'm going to ask, you know, how did the acquisition happen? I assume that you didn't really know that it's coming in a few months because you were raising. So how did it happen? Did it just randomly pop up? It didn't fully randomly pop up. Um, so Arbor was in a pretty specific market and our product was relatively specific at the time we sold. Um, and the reason we raised that round was we, we could see that the revenue on that product line was capped and we'd have to build for another six months to a year to get to the next, the next thing into market. And that would increase the cap. Um, so we raised money to, to enable that, but at the same time, we got a round of offers from a pretty persistent acquirer, uh, starting before we raised that money. And we said no every time, but they kept on coming back doubled. The last time we said no was in August, and we ended up raising right afterwards with the ex expressed intention of building. We raised about $7 million at that point, and then um, we expected to part ways. But two months later, the acquirer came back, um, and they offered us more than a 30x multiple on revenue. So you know, at that point, <laughs> we even though we just diluted ourselves, we felt like we had no choice but to accept it. So. Um, you know, the combination of how much time it would have taken into the to, to grow into that valuation combined with execution risk and increasing regulatory pressure made it pretty obvious for us.
And yeah, congrats on that exit. That's just great story right there. Uh, but here, I actually want to move back to our first question, which is, you know, the, your first round, how you managed to raise it. When did you decide to raise that first round? And my question is, when should you quit your day job? So most startup founders really start those startups as a you know, side gig while working on an actual job, right? When is the point that you would recommend founders to actually quit their day job and make their startup a day job? Should there be some, you know, breaking point like fundraising after fundraising you should definitely quit your job or should it be like the first customer or what should it be i think that it's it's going to be difficult to fundraise if you haven't quit your day job um, most venture firms who want to see that you're 100 percent committed to the project and furthermore if you have a day job you probably have an invention assignment agreement which is a little risky as a as a uh, startup company so I personally like to quit earlier when I start a company. Um, I, I guess it's a bit of a luxury to be able to do that, but um, I like to devote myself 100%. Um, and for me, the, the real impetus that made would make me quit my day job would be putting together the right team that I knew I would want to start a company with. Um, I mean, maybe I come at this from a little bit of a different headspace, but um, my usually i'll do so before i have an idea um at least the right idea um mm -hmm. because i think it's more important to figure out the space that you want to get into and once you have a hundred percent of your day devoted to researching a space you're going to come up with something in that space pretty quickly in my experience at least um but it takes that devotion it takes devoting your time to to a space to really know what the problems are and how to solve them um, so, you know, my personal philosophy around that is just um, rip the bandaid off, do it as, as soon as you can, as early as you can, um, and, and that's how you can maximize the outcome. Absolutely. Great point. I think that the team construction, when you have the team, that's really the moment when you can be like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm done with my day job. That's just perfect advice right there. Uh, but moving on um, and talking about... I had some question, some follow-up question that I want to ask you. Oh, the thing that I want to ask you is the team building. So how exactly do you build a team? Where do you find those people? Should you have them in your network already? Or can you actually go out and, you know, search LinkedIn for you know, potential perfect fits or some specific apps for that? Team is one of the, the most critical things. Um, and it's also one of the things that tanks a lot of startup companies. So mm -hmm. I like to have worked with someone for a number of years, honestly, beforehand, before I'm gonna start a startup company. It's like marrying someone. So you wouldn't wanna marry someone right away that you met off LinkedIn. Um, you probably wouldn't wanna start a company with them either. Um, and so so my experience is that um, it's, it's really good to just fully vet people to make sure that you've um, fully understood how, they, how you're going to work together, how you fill in each other's gaps, um, you know, that you have a complementary skill set because you don't want to be, you don't want to have the same skill set. You want to be doing things that each other can't do, um, hopefully. So all of that takes some time. And I, I personally like to meet them through work or I could imagine school or something like that where you spend time actually diving into to problems with them. 
Mm -hmm. Good point. Good point. That's one, I think, one of the major, you know, value proposition of universities. Uh, but now we're moving on to more current situations. So now that you're working on Estuary, what does Estuary do? What is that? Estuary kind of aims at solving a problem that we saw when we built Arbor. Um, Arbor was a data company, um, and that meant we had a lot of a lot of data assets, and we really cared about how fast we could process them. Um, and when you dive into that space, it turns out that there's different types of pipelines that need to be built and supported, depending on the type of data and the the speed requirements of data that you that you have. Um, so specifically, data that has to be fast is a lot more complicated to use, and the pipelines that you have to set up around them are really expensive. Um, what we found, um, at least for us, and then afterwards interviewing a bunch of companies that have similar problems, was that this results in companies being slow to introduce new products, wasting a lot of time and money on duplicate pipelines, and not having a single source of truth between all these, these systems. Um, so Estuary's goal is to provide companies a simple framework for working with all types of data and not have to worry about the technical requirements of, of how fast the data has to be. Um, we just provide a single um, cloud service that they can use without having to scale infrastructure to solve that problem. All right, at this point, I'll pretend that I understand what that means, but, and then we'll just move on without getting into the technicalities. Uh, but what's your plan for Estuary? Are you planning to fundraise anytime soon? Or, you know, what are you planning to do? Anything different from what you've done with Arbor? Or are you just planning to do this exact same, you know, uh, to play the same strategy there? Yeah, we're, we're doing it a little bit differently. Um, we're already about a year old, and this is a company that requires a lot more tech than, than our previous one. Um, luckily, we're based on um, tech that we built uh, at Arbor. About, for the last six years, we've been actually building it and, and refining it. And that allows us to start in a, on a much more solid foundation. Um, so the last year of work that we've put into it has is, is gotten us to a point where um, we're about to release our, our first version of the product and work on that with some customers. We haven't raised any money yet, um, but that's partially because we've managed to fund ourselves on revenue this time. Um, when we, we're gonna be looking to scale soon after we build out that MVP and test it with some clients. And at that point, I could imagine that we'll probably raise. To quick follow up here in terms of revenue. So you mentioned that you didn't roll out the MVP yet, but you already managed to support yourself through revenue. How, how does it work? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, so the MVP is an MVP that's built on top of the previous open source project that we built. Um, we have companies that use that open source project and they pay us to um, manage some software on top of it. Oh, okay, I got it. Now, actually, it's probably one of the first times I hear that nonprofit, I mean, that an open source brings money. That's real cool and you know, good work there. <laughs> but uh, let's move on again back to the current situation, which is, you know, after the exit, are you doing any sort of mentorship uh, slash advisory for, you know, earlier stage startups or some angel investments? Yeah, I've been doing that for a number of years. Um, I'm also on a couple boards. My my core investment thesis is that I, I invest in um, companies that have some sort of software advantage generally, 
Um, so, so generally software companies. But other than that, I pretty much invest across the board. Um, I, I almost went into the non-operating angel investment route, but ended up getting a little bit bored on that and realized that I, I had another startup company in me. Right. That's that's the thing that I hear a lot from founders, you know, them trying to get into angel investing, but then they're like, okay, so I've invested my money. What, what do I do now? <laughs> so yeah, there's this, uh, a lack of action there, I guess. But anyways, here we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So David, what's the one thing you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? Well, for early startups that'll be working with lots of data, we'd love to speak with you at Estuary around we, how we could help solve that problem in a future-proofed way and let you scale over time. So if, if you do have that type of problem in the foreseeable future, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm um, on LinkedIn or davidestory.dev. Perfect. Yeah, I'll definitely leave a link to David's LinkedIn in the description of this episode. And also, I will leave the link to Ashcherry. So if you're curious, definitely take a look. And also, my call to action, as usually, go to the description of this episode and take a look at the links that I leave there. One link, by the way, is going to be the connection uh, of you to my previous speakers. So a lot of my speakers are doing um, you know, advisory slash mentorship. Some of them are actively invest investors. And what you're doing there, you're just answering a couple of super simple questions, and I'll connect you to my network of advisors, mentors, and investors. So do that, take a look at the links, and have a good day.